You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'm glad that you are listening to this podcast. If this is your very first time listening to this podcast, thank you for joining us. You have a lot to catch up on, um, so go back and check out a ton of other content that we have put out, not only for the Nine Finger Chronicles, but all the other podcasts that are on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, and today is one hell of a podcast. We are going to be, once again, joined by Justin Zarr, and this is the end of this four-part series that, uh, that we've done, but I have a feeling that we are going to schedule some more of these because I really like having Justin on the podcast and uh, BSing with us and that is exactly what we're going to do today and we're just going to BS and I'll be honest I didn't have anything planned for this podcast just because my life has been so busy lately but Justin stepped up and he brought the conversation to the podcast today so today we're going to be talking about the recent happenings with Yeti in the NRA. We're going to touch base on that. We're going to touch base on shot placement of deer. We're going to touch base on mechanical and broad, um, fixed blade broadheads. And man, there's something else that we're missing, but it is a great podcast, man. We're talking a, a little bit about everything, really. But uh, those are some of the main topics that we're going to be talking about today. And I hope you enjoy. But before we get into today's podcast, what do we got to do, man? We got to talk about wasp broadheads made in America, built with the best possible materials that you can make, uh, that you make a broadhead out of. Um, and that's coming directly from the mouth of the people that work there. Uh, their goal is to make the best possible broadhead from the best possible materials. And those materials are tough, just like their broadheads. I'm a huge fan, and like we hear in this conversation today, of the fixed blade, uh, smaller diameter broadheads. Uh, I, the last couple of years, I've been shooting the Boss four blade broadhead. Very good performance. I talk a little bit about it in this podcast. But if you haven't already, go check out wasparchery.com. And while you're there, you need to check out all the fixed blade and mechanical broadheads that they offer. And when you do decide to purchase, use the discount code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9 followed by the word FINGERS, and you will receive 20% off of your purchase. So that's pretty good. Uh, take advantage of that now. So enough of the talking. Let's get into today's ultimate BS session with Joe One. All right, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And Justin, this marks our fourth time in recent history that we've gotten together. 
we've we scheduled four of them just to see how it works and uh so far the first three how do you think the first three went i feel like they're going pretty good i i don't know i i haven't gotten any negative feedback or death threats from anybody yet so i'm gonna just assume <laughs> pretty good although after today's episode you just never know <laughs> oh boy and that's the thing I, I admitted right before we started recording i admitted to justin i said man i'll be honest i've been so busy i don't even have a topic for today's podcast and he says I got it. I got it covered. So and without, and I said, don't tell me anything else. I want to, I want to get this while we're recording. So today, what are we going to be talking about? All right. Well, I have a, a litany of things. It's kind of a list, right? And then maybe I'll let you pick which topics you want to cover for today. So okay. for anybody that knows me or has seen maybe me on social media or on the bowhunting.com forum, I really like to debate things with people. Like I'm, I'm kind of a stubborn person. I have certain opinions and beliefs, and I always like to talk about those with other people, especially when they have differing viewpoints, right? And not because I like to argue, but because I do like to have civil conversation about both sides of a, of a particular topic, right? So my initial thought going into this was like, let's talk about some of the more um, greatly debated topics in the hunting industry, right? So obviously, like some of the first things that come to my mind are usually like crossbows is a big one. Yeah. Uh, we see a lot of people talking about CWD nowadays, um, and different laws and regulations surrounding that, whether it be deer farms, whether it be use of deer urine, things of that nature. Um, the other thing that's always a big one that really isn't necessarily an ethical, political, or legal thing is always the crossbow debate, right? Mechanicals versus fixed blades. But more specifically, we get a lot of feedback and people commenting on our videos about like pass-through shots on animals. Um, so I was going to maybe talk about that one, but we kind of had this, this other one that really just fell in our lap, you know, over the last couple of days, there's been a lot of chatter online about this Yeti NRA situation going down. Yeah. So I thought maybe we could start there. Cause that seems to be kind of a, a hot topic of interest for people. So I thought maybe we start there and then we go into some of these other topics. We'll just do it all. Yeah. I don't care, man. I'm, I'm down right. for whatever. So just to just to catch everybody up on what the whole Yeti scenario that you're talking about, give us some background on that. Sure. And, and I will preface this by saying, because I am a very open, honest uh, individual, very transparent. Yeti is 100% a sponsor of bowhunting.com and a sponsor of our web show, Bow Hunter Die. They are, they are literally a brand new sponsor that just came on board. We had our first episode of this season aired last week. Um, so we are very fledgling in our relationship with them. I can't say that I personally know anybody that works there. We're dealing kind of with their marketing agency, um, through everything. So do I have a, uh, a biased opinion? Sure. I do. They're a sponsor of our show and I appreciate what they do for us. Um, but I don't think that exempts me from having what I believe anyways, is a pretty fair opinion on the whole deal. Yeah. So now I'll catch everybody up with that kind of disclaimer. Uh, catch everybody up. So last Sunday, so today's Wednesday, on Sunday, the NRA released a statement basically saying that Yeti had severed ties with the NRA. Um, and uh, th at the time, I believe they said something along the lines of it was unexpected. They didn't give any sort of reason, yada, yada, yada. And the NRA was issuing this statement, so to speak, just so that everybody uh, who supports the NRA would know that them and Yeti are no longer working with one another, right? Right. Well, as you can imagine, uh, everybody pulled out their jump to conclusions mats <laughs> and started jumping all over the place. And, you know, the the NRA released this on a Sunday, which you have to imagine was strategic in knowing that, you know, the other party involved is, you know, off doing whatever people do on Sundays and not worrying about a media crap storm. So this thing was allowed to spiral out of control basically for a full day on social media uh, where everybody was saying, Yeti no longer supports the NRA. They don't support the Second Amendment. Boycott Yeti. There's actually a hashtag boycott Yeti or Yeti boycott, whatever. And as soon and wouldn't you know it, you had people uh, taking their coolers and blowing them up with Tannerite and <laughs> shooting, shooting their their tumblers with guns and 
burning their hats and I mean, you name it, the, like the e-mob of the internet just went insane. Well, late Sunday night, I think uh, it was Sunday night or Monday morning, Yeti basically released a statement that said, hey, look, we support the Constitution. We support the Second Amendment. What happened was we uh, did away with some vendor programs that were allowing people to order product at a discounted amount uh, for special events and promotions. We did away with that program, and the NRA had been participating in that program. You know, this was no way uh, a reflection of our stance on the Second Amendment or the NRA in particular, but we just did away with those programs. We were still offering the NRA a discount, but obviously, you know, they must not want it. So that was kind of the the Yeti response. Uh, and now a couple of days later, uh, an article came out this morning on Breitbart News uh, from the former president of the NRA, who is now saying that um, that Yeti did offer them an explanation and it was something in the, you know, quote unquote, recent events led them to this decision, which, of course, they want to put words in people's mouth and say it was the Parkland shooting. And this is Yeti trying to distance themselves from the NRA and blah, 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 blah. So you still have a massive kind of uh, boycott, if you will, of Yeti by crazy people on the internet <laughs> who are doing crazy things. So that's kind of the story as I understand it. Dan, uh, what is your understanding of that whole thing? Does that sound like I got it right? Well, here's here's where I stop following things, all right? So I saw the initial NRA release, right? Some guy, I don't even know if it, like to me, the way it read and who released it, it wasn't even a an official statement from the NRA. However, it was some statement by a former president or something like that of the NRA on the NRA channel. So sure. I'm not sure if it was even an official, you know, official, like some guy just got mad because he got an email saying Yeti wasn't going to do this program anymore. He's like, well, that, that means they're not supporting the second amendment. I'm going to blow them up on, you know, on the internet. Sure. And, Which was kind of my initial feeling on the whole thing, too. Right. But like a sane person, I waited right. to try to get the other side of the story, whereas there's a lot of insane people out there that like just go crazy and right. take it at face value and start – literally destroying like you know several hundred dollar coolers which i just think is ridiculous they've right. already bought and paid for the thing may as well keep it and use it right right <laughs> so then i saw the yeti statement come out from yeti basically explaining their position and not that they you know they believed in the constitution they believed in the second amendment but for some reason i don't know one way or the other and and then when that happens and both stories contradict each other, that's when I stop following because you get to a point where it's people are taking sides without facts and, sure. and then it's just, it, what happens is what you're seeing, right? People blowing up Yeti coolers or then the other people who are taking Yeti's side saying, Oh, get your facts straight, whatever. Uh, and nobody really knows the truth. So it's all hearsay. Sure. I, I guess, I'm 100% on board with that, and I'll kind of give maybe my opinion on this, right? Right, And then we'll go into the rest. Like, personally, I guess, number one, I thought it was kind of a crappy thing that the NRA did to issue a statement like that on a Sunday morning when they knew damn well what was going to happen. And that was the whole intent of, you know, sparking that, you know, fire to burn through the Internet because they just – they understand people's reactions nowadays. I mean, people are so easily – triggered by headlines it's crazy and it's funny to me how a lot of the people that are going crazy and blowing stuff up are the same pe people that accuse everybody else in the world of being a snowflake you know and they're posting their triggered you know memes all over the place of like people going crazy and then they're out literally blowing up 600 coolers yeah um so it's kind of like the pot calling the kettle black which to me is just crazy I believe that it's going to be a, at this point a he said, she said thing, right? Oh, yeah. We'll probably never know the truth. You know, I, I don't think either side would be able to produce valid documentation of any sort to prove that, you know, they're <laughs> co correct. I don't know that there is a correct answer. What I find a little disheartening is, is for, you know, a lot of the people that I'm friends with on social media are sportsmen, outdoorsmen. But they're just people who support the Second Amendment and the NRA and whatnot, right? Right. You know, when, when you step back from this whole thing for a second, you know, 
the fact of the matter is like you if we only did business with companies that stood up and supported right. the NRA like would there be a very small amount of people we could ever buy products from right, right. So then people go on to say, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to buy a cheaper Arctic cooler or I'm going to buy uh, an Ozark Trail from Walmart or whatever. It's the same thing and it's a lot cheaper and yet he's overpriced crap, right? I guess you take a step back, you know, and look at the bigger picture from my perspective and you look at, you know, what Yeti does in the outdoor community as far as their support of pro hunting, pro conservation efforts. They are huge, huge partners of people like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. National Wild Turkey Federation, backcountry anglers and hunters, like then the list goes on, right? Pheasants forever. Like, yet, and when you think about it, Yeti is a company that makes a product that isn't a hunting product. We don't use coolers or tumblers or bottles to go kill animals, right? Right. You see very, very few companies that are non-hunting specific companies supporting outdoor recreation the way that Yeti does. Like in my opinion. Even if Yeti said, we, we don't want anything to do with the NRA, that's fine. In my opinion, Yeti does so much positive stuff for our industry as a whole. I don't really care if Yeti wants to give the NRA a break on, on coolers to auction off at their banquets. Like it doesn't – like if I, if I allow myself to get that upset about what potentially could have been a business decision for Yeti, maybe they did just say – we're losing money on this program. It's too hard to manage. People are abusing it. Who knows? And we're going to get rid of this program. Like, why should that, you know, deter me from supporting a company that's done nothing but stand up for, you know, hunters, outdoorsmen, conservation, fishing, where a lot of companies, like, I'll tell you this, Yeti's done a lot more for conservation than Walmart has, but everybody wants to run out and buy an Ozark trail tumbler, right? Just to say, screw Yeti. But in, in, to what detriment? To the detriment of the money that Yeti puts into conservation. So I think we're hurting ourselves more than, than anything by taking this position. Plus, it just makes people look like morons, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. It is like, okay. They're just acting like kids. Yeah, it's okay on this um, on this particular podcast to call people douchebags. And my favorite, <laughs> and my favorite is dipshits. I, ooh, for some reason, that, if I really want to insult someone, I call them a dipshit. I like that. So it's, it's probably a term that's not used quite as, as often as it should be. Yeah. There's a lot of dipshits in this world. Yeah, that's it. right. That's right. So and it, and it goes on both sides for almost anything, whether it's sports or it's politics or, you know, it's crossbow versus, you know, traditional archery versus, you know, um, compound bows, whatever. You have the people who talk the loudest that is the that is what you know a lot of people see right it's sure. like it's always the the far left or the far right of any conversation that gets so it, it almost seems like there's this huge argument but then there's guys like me where it is i could give a shit less to be honest with you about what yeti really does mostly because a i'm not working with yeti in any way shape or form and b um I will probably, based off price alone, probably never buy a Yeti cooler. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe, sure. maybe that will change. So it's not a company that I really care what their decisions are because at this time in my life, I'm not going to buy uh, a Yeti cooler. But at the same token, what you're saying is if you people are like, oh, I only buy Made in America products or I only buy from companies who support the second amendment, then you wouldn't be consuming the amount of consumables that you think, you know, like I think target has uh, said something about how they want gun bans and stuff like that. And a lot of people, a lot of people shop at target. Um, uh, God, there's a guy named shed crazy on Instagram and he went through and he listed a lot of different companies that didn't, uh, you know, that don't technically support the second amendment or have, or have come out and talked about gun law restrictions and whatnot. And it's like, these are everyday products that people consume every day, whether you, so before you go out and start bashing that kind of shit, you got to be educated. Cause if you, if you go out and you start preaching 
uh, and you're uneducated, man, that makes you look so bad. And those are the people sure. that I sit back and laugh at. Oh, and there's plenty of them. I mean, oh, let's yeah. face it. How much education could people have done on this topic before they started going Voice crazy on, on yeah. Sunday? You know, my, my Facebook and Instagram feed was blowing up Sunday morning. I think I was sitting drinking a coffee out of my Yeti mug, by the way. <laughs> You know, on a Sunday morning, and all of a sudden I saw this, and I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, people have lost their damn minds. But I feel like to a certain degree, it's like fake outrage. Right. You know, it's like they want to be outraged, and they want to create these crazy videos just so that they can get those likes and shares on Facebook. You know, it's not even that they're that outraged. But they have fake outrage, so they have to show everybody, you know, how much of a supporter of the NRA and, you know, Second Amendment they are by doing these crazy things. And it's like if Facebook wasn't there, if YouTube wasn't there, if these channels weren't there to allow people to show them doing this, my money. Yeah, the the Internet has definitely allowed um, certain types of people. I call it what I call like keyboard protesters where they have a problem just well i'm gonna sit i'm gonna voice my opinion right here oh uh um my favorite tv shows on now i don't give a shit about it (laughs) you know it's exactly whatever yeah people are uh, man i mean the older i get you know and i hate to say this because i'm a person that you know most of my living comes from building websites and the internet and, and everything. But man, like there's a part of me that just wishes social media as a whole would just go away, yeah. you know, or, or, I mean, I just feel like it's causing so many more damn problems, yeah. you know, than we used to have, you know, without it, are we better off without social media? Maybe human beings as a whole just aren't equipped to mentally handle the amount of information and communication that we have, like a mass scale, yeah. you know, back in the old days when all you had to worry about was like, what was happening in your local town, you know, and everything was such a, a low, a smaller scale. Like you didn't see the just insane outrage, unless it was something that people really needed to be outraged about. Does the world really need to be outraged that, you know, Yeti isn't selling mugs to the NRA? Like who gives a shit, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's and, just crazy. And there's a big group of people out there who do. And especially when you bring up, you know, two words, second amendment. That, I mean, I've seen people go bananas over shit like that. And I just, you know, I have my own opinions and I probably will never truly voice them only because if I, you know, if I, if I say too much, then I have a group of people, even though I say I support the second amendment, if I don't support heat seeking rocket launchers, then, you know, I'm a bad guy, you know, and then if I go too far the other direction, then you got another group of people who also support the second amendment saying, well, that's too much, whatever. And so I just like, I keep that stuff to myself. Yeah. You know, and I'll be honest with you. I mean, it's easy for people's opinions to get swayed kind of one way or another, depending on who you're listening to, if they have a compelling argument. So, you know, there's days when, when, you know, people are coming out and making potentially a case where like, Hey, should, you know, uh, AR rifles be available to the, to the public. Right. And you might hear somebody talk about that, that has a pretty compelling case of maybe they shouldn't, but then you hear the other side of it, you know, and you say, yeah, you know what? It actually makes sense why we, we should, you know, there's a, um, and I'm sure not everybody likes this guy, but you know, I'm somewhat of a fan, I guess I would say of Steven Crowder. If you know who that is, he has a show called Louder with Crowder. It's kind of a humorous take on right wing type politics, conservative politics. Uh, if you want to think of it as the Daily Show equivalent, uh, but uh, right leaning instead of left leaning. Uh, but he does these segments where he goes out and they're called Change My Mind. <laughs> they're actually pretty entertaining. He goes to like a college campus. He sits down at a table. He puts up a banner. Banner says something. Um, and then he says, change my mind. And he invites people to sit down who have a differing opinion uh, and just have a civil conversation about why their opinions are different. And he tries to get them to change his mind about whatever his is. And he nice. did one about I'm I'm pro Second Amendment. Change my mind. And um, had some really, really good points uh, in that one. If ever, if anybody wants to you know, just get maybe some good talking points on if 
you know, so you're talking to people that are maybe anti Second Amendment uh, or just want, you know, more gun control, you know, laws or reform. Like he's got some really good points that he makes during some of his talks. But, you know, back to the Yeti NRA thing, I just think the whole thing's being totally blown out of proportion. Uh, I think people have just gone nuts. Um, the one thing that I would say is, you know, if we rewind the clock a year, year and a half ago, you and I had a conversation when the whole Under Armour kind of scandal came out with the Bomars, right? Right. And people are comparing these two things. And I think it's, in my opinion anyways, two very different things. You know, people remember, uh, you know, Under Armour was, um, quote unquote, sponsoring the Bomars. I don't think they were paying them money, but I'm sure giving them free product, they were the face of kind of the women's line of hunting apparel. The Bomars went on a hunt, completely legal hunt. Um, Josh Bomar speared a bear, a black bear, which was totally legal in Canada. They put the hunt on YouTube and the anti-hunters lost their shit, just lost their mind and started threatening basically to boycott Under Armour, at which point Under Armour cut ties with the Bomars, right? And said, we don't want to, these people are no longer on our staff and they parted ways with them, which in essence was, you know, a company that sells products to hunters directly caving to pressure from anti-hunters and essentially throwing two of their own under the bus, right? Absolutely. Which I which I felt like was a shitty thing. And we had a, a lot of hunters kind of doing the same thing they're doing to Yeti right now, going out and like burning Under Armour stuff, which I still think is stupid and insane. You know, and I will openly admit that prior to that happening, uh, I owned a decent amount of Under Armour apparel, uh, T-shirts and shorts and socks and all sorts of goodies. And I didn't burn it. I didn't throw it away. I still own it. I still wear it. I'm going to go to the gym tonight and I'm going to work out and I will still be wearing it. I haven't bought any more Under Armour since then because I'm not going to give any more of my money to a company that, you know, caves into the outside interest of anti-hunters. But I'm certainly not going to go take it out and take essentially it would be just taking money that I earned that I worked for throwing it in the garbage. And I'm going to have to go buy new shirts. Like it seems stupid. My money's already spent. Why why destroy your cooler or destroy your Under Armour stuff? It's just stupid to me. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you this though. From the from the uh, outdoor or companies who started as regular companies, then kind of cross over into the hunting type realm, camo or outdoors or hunting or whatever, and they see a dollar sign there. Us sure. hunters are very passionate about what kind, you know, how it's all portrayed. So I was talking with a company who was just that a regular company, but they were trying to get into a niche. And I asked them a question. And I said, will you ever post a harvest picture of a turkey or a deer on your social media page? If you're going to be expanding into this realm of, you know, the, the quote unquote hunting industry. And they told me no. So I, at that point I made the decision that I am not going to do business with that company because if you're going to try to make money off of us, then you have to, at, you have to support our way of life. That's the way I kind of look at it. And, sure. and it was a company that I'm not going to, I'm not going to blow them up. I'm not going to say the name, but you're just, not going to NRA them. Yeah, I'm not going to NRA what you mean them. To say. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And it's it's one of those things where, you know, there are other cele- hunting celebrities out there that are repping this company and they are a non I mean similar kind of similar to the uh Under Armour, right? It's just sure. it really pisses me off that we're just a dollar sign for them. And in their defense, there's a lot of hunting companies that won't even donate $40 to conservation acts, you know, because they say they can't, they can't afford it at this time. So I don't know. You, it's, it's, we, that's a whole different rabbit hole. Sure. No, that is definitely a whole nother can of worms. But to your, to your point, I mean, you know, hunters as a whole, I mean, we are, we would be smart and we would be self-serving if we supported as many of the companies that support us as possible. You're never going to be able to solely live your life based on buying stuff from companies that support your way of life. It's just not the world we live in. But, you know, where you have a choice, yeah, I think it's, you know, prudent to make the wise choice, you know. And again, in Yeti's case, like, I feel the good that they do for hunting and conservation, like, 
far outweighs by far light years ahead of anything that they did by selling discounted product to the NRA for them to use at fundraisers. Right. I mean, big deal. Honestly, there's, there's other, other things and I'm sure there will be other cooler companies and other drinkware companies that will gladly step into that space and try to say that they're pro NRA and pander to that group of people. And that's fine. I mean, that's kind of just the way business works. Right. Um, so that whole situation, I guess, you know, this is it what, is it is what it is. This is what kind of pisses me off, though, right? Because of today's world and how social media cycles so fast, right? When there is ever something important that needs to be taken care of and there needs to be a call to action to the hunters, it's so watered down with all this other bullshit that when something really important comes up to stand up for, we're all we're already divided. Or we're just, I think, distracted, maybe. Yeah, distracted. Right. And and it it just pisses me off that there's so much, there's so much out there that we could do as a whole, whether you're, you know, going back to the crossbow or regular bow or whatever, or people, people get caught up on these brands, right? And just like you and just like me, we get paid money from companies to rep their brands. But I think people take these brand loyalties almost to the extreme sometimes. Oh yeah, of course. But they do that in everything, right? It's right, not just right. hunting and outdoors. It's any passion. It's, it's golf, it's fishing, it's whatever people are passionate about. They definitely, it's vehicles. It's, it's the old Ford versus Chevy versus, you know, Dodge and Toyota, you know, type thing. I mean, it's just, I guess maybe that's just the nature of humans. If you were to look at, I don't know what this falls under. Is it psychology or, whatever it is, you know, sociology of, you know, us wanting to be uh, part of kind of like a tribe, like a tribal thing. We want to feel like we belong in a group, like, and there's niches everywhere. There's people that are like super into Jeeps, right? And they wave at each other when they drive by, you know, to me, it's just like, (laughs) you don't know each other just because you're some suburbanite dude that bought a Jeep, you know, you're not some badass, but I mean, there's, there is these, these clicks and these groups out there and yeah, brand loyalty, you know, is a, is a huge thing. We see it a lot in the, in the hunting community. Um, I mean, you see it, I mean, and it's not just a male thing. I mean, I see it with women in their purses or their jewelry or their jeans or their shoes. You know, my wife was a coach purse person forever. And now apparently coach isn't cool anymore. So now it's Michael Kors, you know, it's like, I don't know the difference of any of this crap, but I mean, I think it's, it's just prevalent in human society. Absolutely, man. Well, so, I want to be done with this conversation because fair enough. It, it can, it can probably a, spiral out of a, control. I'm going to take a swig of ice cold water from my Yeti Rambler bottle. Sell out. Can, <laughs> you sell out. I, I am selling. You know, it's funny. I used to always, uh, when you're younger, you'd always be like, you're a sellout, you know, whatever. And the older I got, I was like, I wish somebody would pay me to sell out. <laughs> Cause I need money and I got three kids and a mortgage and please somebody pay me to sell out. So we'll move to the next topic. Let's talk about crossbows. That's always a fun one. Oh boy. Oh, don't. Oh boy. Me. All right. We're going to start with this you. Is, I'm Mr. Almost, Johns. Let's go. Johnson. Dude, I'm I hope almost, we're on the other. I hope we're on opposite sides of the aisle on this one so it, we can debate. I, I don't think we are because, ah, but the, the thing about it is it's like, I almost don't want to like. I don't want to talk about the Second Amendment, but I almost don't want to talk about crossbows <laughs> more. You know what I mean? Come on, as long as we're rational human beings, right, we'll right. be fine. Here's the deal. Long story short, the hunting community is shrinking, and if it means that somebody can go out and become a hunter, join our quote unquote our team. And they're they want to use a crossbow, man, go for it. However, I feel that a crossbow is not equal to a regular bow. Meaning, I think maybe a crossbow should have, and this is just me in my opinion, crossbows should have their own seasons and maybe put them in with a muzzle loader or something like that. That's just me spitballing really fast. Fair enough. And I'm I'm 90 percent with you on that same page. Um, Yeah, this is this is can be a tough one. Right. So 
there seems to be the anti-crossbow crowd who you will just never change their mind no matter what you do. And for me, a lot of the anti-crossbow argument is tends to be rooted more in emotion than it does in fact, right? So How typically when is. I hear people argue against crossbows, they say, uh, you know, things like, um, uh, you know, it's not as difficult as using a, a regular bow, right? Which right. who really cares, right? Or, you know, uh, you don't have to draw it back, which I guess is a fact, but a lot of it is, is more emotionally based, like on why they don't want crossbow hunters in quote unquote their woods, right? So, you know, when you sit back and you start looking at facts, I'm a person that likes to make decisions based on hard numbers and, and facts. You know, you look at places like Ohio, right, where crossbows have been legal for decades now, right? Ohio produces some fantastic deer every year, some, some great deer. I mean, world-class deer are coming out of Ohio on a regular basis in spite of the fact that, you know, they have crossbows. Um, so, you know, there's some basis to say that, you know, crossbows don't affect the quality of the hunting, so why should we treat them any differently? Now, with that being said, you know, there are some facts kind of coming out of Wisconsin here who legalized crossbows in the last couple of years um, where they're starting to say that, hey, you know, maybe the amount of people using crossbows and the amount of deer that we're harvesting with crossbows is getting out of hand, so maybe they do need to be treated differently. And I'm certainly not so pro crossbow that I'm not open to that idea. You know, I think that a lot of these people, whether you're pro or you're anti, it seems like you're just stuck in your in your ways yeah. and you don't want to explore, you know, a happy balance. You know, I am all for like if the numbers start showing that, you know, deer numbers as a whole are down or we're harvesting too many animals or whatever the case may be that would support regulating crossbows in a different way than they're regulated today, I'm all for creating that regulation. Right. But in, until we have some sort of facts to go off of, why bother, you know, creating a, you know, a shitstorm, right. you know, for everybody to deal with when it's a bunch of hearsay, really. Right. I agree. Make your, uh, make your decisions based off facts, not emotions. And that's basically life period. Sure. But yeah, but all too many people are making them off of, uh, emotions these days as we see with social with social media instead of off of facts so i know that you know wisconsin really recently held some meetings uh where they were kind of getting both sides of the story starting to look at some numbers and numbers can be deceiving you know i think you know some of the numbers i saw coming out of wisconsin showed a pretty steep increase in the amount of deer harvested with a crossbow the last couple of years um so you know that definitely warrants looking at but at the same time uh, Wisconsin firearm harvest was up last year. And I think it was one of the two highest harvests they've had in the last 10 years. So if we were to just look at, you know, overall opportunity for all hunters, it's not like people that are gun hunting uh, aren't seeing or having the opportunity to shoot deer because all the people with crossbows killed them first. Like right. that clearly wasn't the case last year. I think there maybe needs to be a little bit of a deeper dive into the, the facts. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm for the most part pro crossbow. I mean, they're 100% legal in archery season here in Illinois now. Um, they've been legal for a couple of years where we could use them during the late part of the season. Yep. And I'll be honest with you, I have got the worst damn luck. I've gone out with a crossbow, I don't know, let's say 10 times, and I can't even find a doe to shoot with one <laughs> of these damn things. Like every time I go out, I just want to shoot a deer with a crossbow. That's all I want to do. Right. Like, I, I, you know, and it presents its own set of challenges. I mean, they're... They're heavy. They're kind of unwieldy. They're a pain in the ass. You can't really cock them very well from a tree stand, I found out. Uh, it's kind of a pain. I'm usually doing it on the ground and then hoisting it up. And, I mean, the chances of getting a second shot if you screw the first one up are pretty much non-existent. So they definitely present their own set of challenges. Um, I have yet to be able to shoot. I was going to take my crossbow this last weekend when I went turkey hunting here in Illinois because we can use crossbows for the first year during turkey season. And I loaded the thing in my truck. Uh, I drove all the way out to where I was going to turkey hunt. I got there Friday night. I set up my blind. I did everything. Uh, I went to my buddy's house where I was staying and we were getting all of our gear ready to go hunt. And I realized that I left all of my arrows for my crossbow at home because like, <laughs> because like an idiot, I brought them all inside to install lighted knocks into them. Because uh, we used my crossbow in Kansas when I was with Dustin, and he shot a turkey, and he just the, the arrow was moving so fast you could barely see it. So I'm like, dude, I need to get lighted knocks in these things. 
So I brought all my arrows in, put knocks in them, and then I left them sitting on my workbench. Uh, so luckily I had my regular bow with me. So I ended up taking that with me on Saturday. Of course, I shot a turkey. Uh, so I failed yet again to shoot something with a crossbow because I am cursed, apparently. So in college, I played rugby. And that is a no, I mean, other than maybe a nut cup and a mouthpiece, there's no protection. There's no, not a lot of guys wear pads. There's no really helmets. And, but there were things called scrum caps. And it it was basically a real thin pad that guys like one or two guys would put over top of their head. And those guys got made fun of because basically if you wore this, you were a pussy, so to speak. And so we would make fun of the guys who would wear the scum, the scum, uh, scrum caps. So I feel like if one of my friends, like my real close hunting buddies, would shoot a crossbow on a regular basis. I may jab him a little bit for it, but at the end of the day, I don't care. Sure. I get that. That makes sense. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, I'll say this. You know, I think there's a lot of talk surrounding crossbow that that is valid as far as the future of just archery right. as a whole, right? Because, you know, the the big concern in the archery community about crossbows is that uh, you don't buy accessories in the same way that you do for a vertical bow. Um, you generally don't need a pro shop to set anything up for you or to tune it or to really do a whole lot of work for the most part. Like every crossbow I've ever owned, taken it out of the box, put the thing together, put the scope on it, and it's either dead nuts on right out of the box or you know, within four or six shots, I am literally shooting quarter size groups out to 40 yards. So, you know, on a, on the plus side, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that don't take the time to get as proficient with their compounds as they should. And then they go hit the woods and are flinging arrows all over the place and, you know, missing animals or wounding animals or doing whatever the hell they're doing. Plenty of those guys out there. They're the people that everybody make fun of when they show up at the bow shop the night before season to buy new arrows or get broadheads or whatever. We all know that those people exist. So like in my mind, you're not going to change those people, right? They're just not into to archery and they don't, they want to go hunting, but they maybe they don't have the time or the desire to, to shoot their bow as much as we do. Right. right. So do I want that guy to be forced to use a compound bow where he probably has no business being in the woods with it? Or would I rather have that guy be able to pick up a crossbow that he can be significantly more accurate with, get in the woods, shoot his animal, and be done and be gone on his way and not have a bunch of deer running around that look like pincushions. So, I mean, there's two sides to that story. On the archery side of things, like, it hurts, you know, archery shops business, right? They're not selling as many sights and as many rests. I mean, when you buy a crossbow, it's the whole kit and caboodle. I mean, it's the bow. It's There really is no rest. It's got a scope on it. It comes with a couple arrows, usually has a quiver. Like, you don't need to buy anything else. Maybe a sling in a case and you're done, you're ready to go hunt. So from that perspective, like it definitely puts a damper like on archery shops. I could say I was in Pennsylvania over Easter and I was at um, Dunham's Sporting Goods store uh, in uh, somewhere in Pennsylvania. And I went into the sporting goods section and I'm not joking. There was 30 crossbows hanging on the wall and there was probably three compounds hanging there in in that store um so i know a lot of the pennsylvania guys don't really care for crossbows too much and i could potentially see why i mean when that's what's happening you know there's there's maybe some cause for concern for some of the you know us vertical and compound bow people but you know the times they are changing right so that's right sometimes you just gotta find the the good in all of it and, and make the best of the situation and i'm definitely open for the the debate and the discussion of changing uh, legislation should it be warranted but i think we should cross that bridge when it comes and not you know cry and scream and act like babies about it just because they put crossbows in archery season That's by right. the way did you watch my what i felt like was a humorous video on crossbows on the busted rack facebook page a while ago i haven't we did seen the, it yet no you didn't watch my video of the hitler complaining about crossbows oh yes okay i did see that one Hilarious. That was a while that ago. Right. That was hilarious. That got a lot of views. I made myself chuckle when we made that <laughs> video. And that's really all I ever try to do is make myself laugh. So, so, okay. So what's the next one? We have about 
15 minutes left. Oh, man. Shoot. EHD and CWD, I don't know what we should talk about. What about – I want to talk about pass-through shots on Whitetails. Can Wait, we talk one about second. that one for a minute? Wait, one second. E- right. I want to go. I want to say something real quick about EHD and CWD, and and it all comes back down to where you where you get your information. Um, if someone who has their own TV show and you know is a, a or I should say now was a hunting celebrity, um, we'll just call this guy Schmish Schmack it. And, <laughs> and and that guy comes out and says, e, or uh, CWD is a cons- like it's a conspiracy theory or some shit like that. Yes. And, and biologists and QDMA and other people out there are going, no, 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 shut your mouth, shut your mouth, stop, because you're actually doing a lot of harm right now because there's people out there that believe you. Um, let's keep the the science to the scientists, and you know, that's all I need to say about that. And, and let's keep shooting multiple deer without tags to the TV <laughs> celebrities. Got it. Totally understand. I know there is something going around right now. I need to do a little bit more research on it before I speak intelligently to it. But I know there was a group of people that just met with the Illinois State Senate. I want to believe it was, uh, or maybe it was the House of Representatives, to discuss. Um, possibly legalizing the feeding of wildlife and deer again, because it's currently illegal in Illinois since they found CWD, you can't bait or feed deer. Yep. Uh, there's a group of people that met with the state legislature uh, to kind of combat the narrative that the DNR, the DNR maintains we should not be allowed to do it because the controlled um, or the congregated amount of deer over, let's say, a bait pile uh, makes the spread of CWD more, like more possible, right? Yep, yep. Uh, these guys basically are coming in and saying, hey, new science is saying that, you know, deer are social animals. They visit scrapes. They visit the same feeding areas. They communicate by licking each other and scent and all these other things. So putting out, you know, a corn pile really doesn't uh, hurt anything or spread the disease any more than it would normally spread on its own. Uh, and the other narrative that they're pushing to my understanding is that there are certain um, I don't know if they're minerals or chemicals or whatever that can be fed to deer uh, that may actually help uh, support their immune systems and actually make it less likely for them to, con- uh, to contract CWD. Um, so that's kind of the narrative. I-, I need to do a little bit more research on to see exactly what they're talking about. I know it was some of the guys from Analogics were involved, which is a, a mineral company, uh, and some other hunters from, from here in Illinois. So Of course I don't- they are. Of course, of course, of course, of course, Jesus. But I mean, but let's face it. I mean, if they truly are on to something, I mean, it could be, uh, you know, an interesting, um, an interesting thing. I know that the case that they presented to the Senate, at least from my understanding, was compelling enough for them to potentially go against what the DNR was recommending. Um, so I don't know. I, again, I got to do a little bit more research before I can really talk too intelligently about the whole situation. Gotcha. All right. Pass throughs. Pass-throughs. All right. So we get this a ton on our show over the years, right? So we shoot a pile of deer every year. They're all dead. Um, and we get people to say, like, man, you didn't get a lot of penetration on that shot. Or that arrow just, you know. Bad. That was an unethical shot. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We've been accused of being unethical hunters because our arrows don't pass through deer and stick in the dirt, you know, 12 inches on the other side of them. So, um one of the things that I always struggle with is talking to people about like what constitutes a pass-through shot, right? And why do we want pass-through shots? In my definition, a pass-through shot is when your arrow makes both an entrance and an exit hole. Right. I don't care if the arrow is still in the deer, if it's buried to the fletchings in the, in the broadhead sticking out the other side. To me, that's a pass-through, right? Whether or not the arrow actually went all the way through and stuck in the ground is a moot point to me as long as there are two holes in the animal, one where the arrow went in and one where the broadhead came out. That's really the only thing I care about. And I, people get hung up on semantics a lot when they're like, well, a pastor isn't a pastor unless the arrow passes through and comes out the other side. So that's kind of my definition of a pass-through. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I just want to laugh because, <laughs> because I'm looking at a buck that I hung on my wall that was at 10 yards – facing me uh he was a hundred percent 
looking right up. At, he he saw my climbing sticks. And Is he this fu- one of you shot in the face? <laughs> I shot him. I, I I was buried right below the white spot on his chest, right? Yeah. So I was going to hit that entrance. And right when he saw me, his reaction was get out of there. And that's when I pulled the trigger. So his head dropped and I went through the nostril down his throat and one blade of the broadhead cut his neck wide open and he was dead. He was dead fast. Yeah. I mean, he bled to death just like a liver shot. So yes, there are what I would consider ethical and unethical shots. Like, okay, I can only see the deer, the deer's hindquarters. I'm not going to take that shot because there are no vitals there. However, I'm, I guess I'm more of kind of a killer at certain things where if I can get an arrow in this buck and I can get one lung, that's all right with me, man. One lung's going to, if you put a broadhead in one lung of a whitetail, there is a very, very good chance you're going to kill it. If you put it in the liver, you know, even one lobe of the liver, that deer's going to bleed to death. So it's almost like people want these setup shots that are just perfect when, when, Sometimes they just aren't going to happen. So what are you going to do? You're going to let a buck walk, or you're going to put an arrow in him? Uh, yeah, I'm, I might let him walk if well, I don't think I can kill him cleanly. I guess what, you know. Me, I let, think let a couple clarify. years ago. Go ahead. If the vitals are present, like I'm not going to sure. put an arrow in a deer's ass. But yeah. are you going to take a, a quartering two shot where you know you're only going to get one lung liver? That's a quartering two in my mind. Are you going to take, take that, that shot? shot? I'll take that shot. One lung and Fair liver, enough. I'll take that shot all day. All right. I'm, I'm personally, like, if that's what I'm aiming for, I'm not yeah. going to take it. If that's what I'm, that's what I get because my shot was a little off. If he was quartering away and maybe I hit him a little far back and I got a one lung liver, I'll take it because I know he's dead. But I don't know that I'm going to purposefully take that shot. But that's just me. Everybody's yeah. tolerance for you know, risk, I guess, is at different levels to me. I'm, I, I like that. Give me, but I'm also not above, you know, stretching it a little, a little bit, you know, where, where it needs to be. But to the point of the mechanical versus fixed blade in the pass through, like where we get, you know, crap a lot is a lot of our guys are shooting big expandable broadheads, right? So whether that's a spitfire or a kill zone or something along those right lines, right? Plenty of guys out there shooting rage, you know, yep. plenty of guys shooting, you know, other big mechanical broadheads, right? And by their very nature and inherent design, they're not going to penetrate as well as a fixed blade. They weren't designed to, right? So like when I get people that like watch our show and they're like, oh shit, you didn't get good penetration. It's like, well, if I was concerned about penetration, I'd be shooting a 500 grain arrow and a fixed blade broadhead, but I'm not, I don't, I'm not shooting buffalo. I'm shooting whitetail deer and I want to put a big hole in them and I want to inflict as much damage as possible and kill that animal as quickly as I can. And if that means my arrow only goes in 18 inches and pokes out the other side, I'm perfectly okay with that. That animal is going to be just as dead as if I shot it with a fixed blade head that's stuck, you know, 12 inches into the dirt on the other side. Um, one thing that, you know, Dustin DeCrew brought up, and this is used a lot kind of when you start looking at, at firearms and you know, I guess ballistics and, and what, um, bullets you're going to use but i mean essentially if you think of it this way your arrow's got a certain amount of energy in it when you when it's shot from the bow our goal is to try to expend as much of that energy into the animal as possible right whether you're shooting an arrow or a or a bullet it's kind of the same principle although a bullet kills differently in a different manner than an arrow does like in in my mind if i can push a two inch three blade through an animal and get it all the way through, even if it just drops out the other side, that's doing significantly more damage than a small little fixed blade head. Right, right. I shoot that fixed blade head, and it zips through that animal and sticks in the ground. That's telling me that there was a bunch of energy there that could have been put into creating a bigger hole, but instead I chose to put it into the ground on the other side of the animal, which doesn't help me actually kill anything. So there's two ways of of thinking about it. And I have contradicted myself quite a bit because – I'm a big fan of small fixed blade broadheads. Um, I personally, when I shoot animals, for some reason, have a tendency to hit them farther forward and then back. I have this horrible problem of just kind of following the leg up and shooting right on the crease. 
Um, and, and if I'm going to miss, I tend to miss forward. So I like to have that penetration if I do get into that shoulder because you're definitely going to have a better chance of recovery with that, that little fixed blade. But, you know, there's just as many people that shoot back as forward. And when going back, I'd rather have the bigger cutting diameter to try to cut more if I'm going to get liver or if I'm going to get guts. I mean, you can never predict if you're going to shoot forward or you're going to shoot back. Sometimes it just shit happens. Yeah. You know, either broadhead will kill a deer just as dead. But the fact of the matter is a lot of guys are out there shooting, let's say, a 400-grain-ish arrow because that's about standard these days for most people. And they're shooting a, you know, two-inch cut, two-blade mechanical. And I don't care if that arrow blows through and sticks in the ground. As long as you put it in the right spot, it's a dead deer yeah. and we get a ton of people that want to like debate us and almost like uh, criticize us because the arrow didn't go through as much as theirs did. You know, I shoot a 600 grain single bevel broadhead arrow. I could take <laughs> yeah. down two elephants in one shot if I wanted to, but you know, big deal. I don't care what anyone else is doing. Dead is dead is dead. Absolutely. <laughs> and Absolutely. that's all I care about. So that's my feelings on that. After the buck I shot this year, you know, depending on if the buck is aware I'm there or not aware. Like if, if I have to go bam to stop them and they become on alert, if the deer's not alert, man, I almost would, would rather do a liver shot than a double lung, like a double, like, or a, you know, a lung shot. Like I'm, I'm going to hit both lobes of the liver. I'm going to hit both lungs. Um, Man, my buck died this year so fast from a liver. I might have nicked a lung, but liver mostly liver only shot. And the deer was not spooked, not aware I was there. I shot him. He was just standing still. And that deer died fat, like faster, almost as fast as my <laughs> the buck I shot in the face. But every deer that I've double lunged and shot has run away uh, and you know, had that adrenaline, the ability to have that adrenaline dump where if you shoot them in the liver, I feel like there's some pain involved where they don't feel like running hard. And, um, I don't know. I, but like you said, man, you put a arrow, I don't care how big it is in a lung, a heart or a liver, and it's going to die. Sure. I'll say this when it comes to mechanical versus fixed blades, I've always felt this way. Yeah. You know, when you shoot a deer with a big mechanical, especially an open on impact type mechanical like a rage or a kill zone, I feel like deer run farther than when you shoot them with a fixed blade head. I feel like that fixed blade head zips through them so fast. A lot of times they don't feel it as much, right? So they tend to not run as far. And usually they – like we've all had deer – hopefully we've all had deer that – run 40 yards and stop like what the hell just happened and then they fall over dead like in my experience that doesn't happen a lot with those big mechanicals because they open and it's like they're getting smacked on the side of their chest cavity with a baseball bat yeah you know they are out of there in a hurry so a lot of the deer you know i've seen with those big mechanicals the open on impact ones specifically you know i've really taken a liking to the the quote-unquote over-the-top mechanicals which is like a a spitfire or a grim reaper type head yep. um I personally think, you know, when when rages and kill zones all came out, they were kind of touted as like the answer to the problem of the over the top mechanical. Right. Which is generally that they have a smaller entrance hole and they don't open until inside the animal. But honestly, I've become to prefer that because I feel like that smaller entrance hole doesn't absorb quite as much energy when it goes in and it allows those blades to deploy inside of the animal, inside the soft tissue of the animal. I get much better penetration out of an over-the-top type mechanical than I do out of a like a kill zone type, um, and the exit holes are just phenomenal on those those big three-blade mechanicals. Like I just think like you know for my money, like I'm almost starting to favor those even more than the than the small fixed blades. Um, but I just feel like you know to your point, what did you shoot your deer with this year? What kind of uh, broadhead was it? It was a Boss four-blade fixed. It was a fixed blade. Small okay. diameter broadhead. Sure. And how far did the deer go? The deer went inside 40 yards. I mean, it was, I, I, and he I, stopped and kind of like got woozy and fell over type thing. Oh yeah. He, he made a, he made the kind of like a half circle from, I shot him at like 33 or 35 yards 
and he did kind of like a half circle and he died within 30 yards of my tree stand. Yeah. See, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, and I just, uh, so I shot my buck this year with a small fixed blade head. It was an NAP, uh, night. Well, it used to be called a nitron. Now it's a thunderhead nitro, but it's a small little fixed blade, three blade, you know, deadly accurate, super sharp, you know, buzz through him like a hot knife through butter. He ran maybe 80 yards and piled up, um, you know, in the site. So, you know, you put the arrow in the right spot and they're definitely going to die. I just think there's, there's merits to both type. Um, personally, if I could say anything, I would like to see people shooting a little bit of a heavier arrow for me, my money's in that like 425 to 450 grain range, I think is the sweet spot where you're not giving up too much speed. Um, and you're picking up enough extra momentum in that arrow to, to really hit with a little bit of an oomph. I think when you get in that 400 and guys that are even under 400, like I think you're just playing with fire specifically as it comes to, you know, bones. Um, but then I'll say this, dude, I was hunting late season standing bean plot, had a buck at 43 yards, looking the other direction, not even looking at me, literally looking the other way at, at a house, you know, 300 yards away at the other end of the field. And my, my kind of self-imposed limit is usually 40 yards. And I figured, well, if there's any ever a time to stretch it a little bit, like this is it. The, it, the deer's calm. He's looking the other way. I'm calm. I got all the time in the world. Drew, anchored, shot. And son of a bitch, if that deer didn't turn inside out before that arrow got to him. <laughs> and and I hit him in the neck. I hit him forward right in front of the shoulder, but above the uh, like the esophagus and all the good stuff. And I just put it right through the meat of his neck. And ended up not killing the deer. Um, you know, he was still alive. He shed on the property. And I got pictures of him and everything. But, like, there's a case where, man, if I could go back and not be shooting a one-inch cutting diameter broadhead and maybe you give me a two-inch cutting diameter broadhead, maybe I would have caught something going through there that would have killed that deer on a little bit of a, an off shot. Right. So, right. you know, it's it's risk and reward with all these different broadhead types. And I've used both over the years, man. I've used several different broadheads over the years. Um, I killed a ton of deer with the jackhammer or the NAP jackhammer. Not NAP. Uh, wasp. Was that a wasp? Yeah. 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 Wasp jackhammer back in the day. The first One of the first broadheads or mechanicals I ever started using. And that's like an over-the-top, like a Spitfire. uses like yep. an O-ring on it, right? Yep. yep. Then I went to a um, – then I had an – uh, an incident where I didn't get as much penetration as I thought I should at 22 yards on a completely broadside shot. Uh, my, my arrow didn't go through. And, uh, that's when I really started looking at fixed blades. I think I shot one or two more years worth of, uh, mechanicals. And then after that, I've been shooting fixed blades ever, like for the past, ever since. Yes. Like five years now. So, yeah, I've gone back and forth. I mean, there's years when I carry both in my quiver, and I just switch from hunt to hunt, you know, because I just I, I, I do like both of them for different reasons. Right. Um, you know, the one thing that I've learned from the guys at NAP over the years, there used to be a guy that worked there named Chris Hunter that kind of you know taught me this or brought up this point is, you know, a lot of people, we love to blame our broadheads, right? The broadhead, unfortunately, for the broadhead manufacturers, when something doesn't go right, it's usually the first thing we look at. Like, right. dude, I smoked that deer and it, and it didn't die and it was the broadhead's fault. I need to change. Right. Um, you know, but specifically as it pertains to like the mechanical heads, you know, what happens is people have substituted tuning their bows well for just using mechanical broadheads, right? They're like, well, I don't need to tune my bow because I shoot a mechanical and it flies just like a field point, right? Right. But if your bow's not tuned totally, you know, properly and your arrow is not flying straight and it impacts that animal at any sort of an angle, Right. I mean, if that arrow's kind of porpoising through the air and not flying straight and it hits at an angle, you're inherently going to get less penetration. You're, you're wasting so much energy when that arrow hits in that angle, you know, trying to push through the animal that, you know, in a lot of cases, it's not the broadhead. It may not even be the arrow. In a lot of cases, it's the bow and it's the shooter. Right. Um, but it's the easiest thing to do is say, oh, my broadhead failed or my broadhead didn't open. That's another one of my favorite ones. I only Actually, practiced one time in the past four months. Well, one of the guys on our team who shall go nameless just shot a turkey the other day, and he called me, and he's like, dude, my Spitfire didn't open. And I'm like, you're full of shit. He's like, dude, I'm telling you, I got it in my hand. It didn't open. The blades are all closed. There's feathers and blood all over it. I said, okay, bring me the, bring me the broadhead. So he brought the broadhead to the office, and I said, okay, did you ever shoot this broadhead before you shot that turkey with it? Nope. 
first time it's ever been shot. Well, when a Spitfire opens, and I'm sure the same is true for a lot of mechanical broadheads, when those blades fly open and they impact the ferrule of the broadhead, they put a little nick or like a little scuff mark at the back where the blade meets the ferrule. There's so much pressure when that thing flies open and it, and it slams open so hard that it'll mar the, the aluminum ferrule. So if you kind of run your fingernail over the, the back of the little groove where the, where the blade rides into, you can feel where it was mushroomed out. And you can look at it and see where those blades slammed in there and did open up. But then what happens a lot of times is either that arrow pulls out of the animal or when it goes through, it stops so quickly and so suddenly that the blades go back forward and slam shut again, right? right? So a lot of people might pick up their arrow on the ground and the blades are closed and they're like, son of a bitch, this thing didn't open. Um, but I have yet to see a case, like a bona fide case, where somebody's able to actually prove that like their broadhead did not open. Nine times, uh, 10 times out of 10, you look at that, those marks in the ferrule and you'll be able to tell that the broadhead opened. That's good to know, my man. Yeah, it's your well, advice for today. Yeah, there you go. Well, hey, man, fourth time's the charm. I think we nailed this one. I really appreciate you taking time to uh, do this, and I know that there's going to be there's going to be more in in uh, in the future. And uh, excellent, we'll do some more of these. And I appreciate your time, man. Thank you. No problem. Thanks, Dan. Have a good night, buddy. I have a feeling uh, that was not going to be the last time that you're going to hear Justin Zar on this podcast, man. Really appreciate him taking time to do this series of four podcasts with us. Like I said, man, he's going to be on again and probably fairly soon because I enjoy uh, BSing with him. Huge shout out to all of you for listening to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. I really appreciate that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast. Wasp, Exodus, Ripcord, Lone Wolf, Ozonics, and that's it. Man, it's Thursday. I mean, tomorrow's Friday. I think there's going to be another Nine Finger Chronicles podcast coming out on Friday, so be aware of that. Uh, If you haven't already, go like, share, follow, whatever, Instagram and Facebook for both the Nine Finger Chronicles and the Sportsman's Nation, along with all the other podcasts on the Sportsman's Nation on both the Whitetail and the Big Game feed. There's going to be a blog coming soon, so keep an eye out for that. Go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a comment or a review five stars would be awesome other than that guys i don't know go out kill some turkeys post some pictures of it let me know if you want to be on the podcast either as a bs session do some product reviews because that's what i'm going to be looking for here in the uh, near future is some product review podcasts of some products that you used that you liked or did not like this past year um and other than that man if you're going to be in a tree please wear your damn safety harness have a good rest of the week